Do you want to know how to get your brand featured in mass media outlets to increase the trust and credibility in your brand? Mass media exposure elevates the perception of your brand, attracting customers, increasing sales, and outselling your competitors. So listen in because the Magnify You podcast has been made for you. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and I've been running my PR agency, Wordstorm PR, for 20 years. Over that time, we've worked with literally hundreds of brands and positioned our clients as the go-to media spokespeople for their industry. I'll be talking to journalists, talent agents, media professionals, and inspiring entrepreneurs about what it takes to get your message in the headlines. Welcome back to episode six of the Magnify You podcast, the podcast that helps you mainstream your message. Today, we've got Dilvin Yasser in the studio. Dilvin is a freelance journalist who's been working in media for over 20 years. She's a regular contributor to some of the biggest media publications in the country, including Murray Claire, Nine Honey, Body and Soul and SMH, to name just a few. Welcome, Dilvin. Hello. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for coming in. All right. We might get started with the big questions, if mm-hmm. you're okay with that. Yeah, so absolutely. Do you get commissioned to write most of your stories now or are you pitching? What's the sort of split between the two? I think about 80% would be editors reaching out to mm-hmm. me. So I have a, a very long list of stories I would like to write and I never get around to pitching them. I'm just so busy. Um, in the beginning, it was probably me pitching Maybe the split would have been 80% me pitching and then 20% editors and that's really shifted in the last few years. So yeah, so there's all these stories I've got to get around to and I just, there is no time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, those stories that you want to write, are they from things that you want to bring to light or just stories that have been pitched to you that you think are a really good idea or? Could be anything. It could have been a conversation I had. Um, It could have been somewhere I was traveling and I, I came across something. No, look, stories where PRs have come to me, I will pitch straight away because I'm aware that other people are depending on me. But, you know, love pieces that are, I'm, I'm really attached to just from an emotional level, they're the ones I tend to write down and go, I've got to get around to writing that. But, for example, if you've pitched something to me and I think, ooh, I'm so aware that you're waiting to hear back from me and that is something that I'll pitch straight away. Yeah. Very, very big difference. Okay, yeah. And do you get pitched to a lot by PR people? Yes, every five minutes. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine, which is great. Yeah. Well, how many of those pitches actually get cut through and how many would you sort of delete for various reasons? And what would those reasons be, I guess? The ones who don't make it are usually the ones that aren't relevant. Sometimes, I mean, no, not sometimes, a lot. I get pitched. Just maybe they haven't researched the publications I write for, um, who I am. And, you know, they're just not relevant. So I just think, well, what can I do with that? You know, I'm not going to write stories about cars. I don't know yeah, anything about cars. Yeah, so they're just not tailored to, to your, you know, area. Exactly. Whereas, and then sometimes, you know, I, I guess if it's seasonal, so at the moment I'm being pitched so many hay fever stories and I know that's going to get picked up straight away if I can find an original way of doing something that's been done to death. That's the other thing too. And do you find that um, people who pitch to you, they often help you with that angle or are they sort of pitching the theme and you're trying to... And you're the one using your creativity to find an angle to make it work. It depends. Some of the PRs that I've got really good relationships with, sometimes they will send me detailed pitches with angles they think could work. Uh-huh. And that is really helpful. And that often will help them get through to getting that story in print or online. Whereas sometimes, you know, you might get one and it's, hey, what about doing a story on this rug? <laughs> which I've had. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and, um, imagine. 
And then, you know, I'd, I'd put a call out for um, travel services and someone had come back to me and I actually kind of respect the creativity involved with this, but she'd pitched a rug that maybe you could rent and then take to a house that you're also renting through a, you know, one of those yeah. services and yeah. you could use the rug there. And I thought, fascinating, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Do, do you always get back to people or is it just too hard because <sighs> the, you're just getting so many emails? I try to. Yeah. I try to. Sometimes I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but yeah, sometimes I get the prompt, the prompt email a week later and I go, oh my God. I don't want to be known as the person who doesn't get back yeah. to people. I just think once you start that habit, it's a slippery slope and you don't want to get on it. I do try. I Although do try. I think a lot of people don't realise how busy journalists actually are and how, how much they're getting in their inbox. So to you, it's like a whole list of people you have to say, no thanks, no thanks, no yeah. thanks. Whereas to them, it's a big thing. So I think one of the reasons I'm putting this podcast together is to give some insight into the day of the life of a journalist. Mm-hmm. So to help people understand how they can communicate with you better and make your life easier and get get cut through so that they get, you know, their magnify moment, essentially. Right. Yeah. Well, every journalist is different as yeah, well, I think. Yeah. And also age comes into it. You know, journalists of my age are maybe a bit different to journalists in their 20s. Yeah. Look, I like I like people getting in touch and I, I'm glad that they follow up, you know, and others might think that's annoying. I don't know, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. And what about the phone call? Does any Does anyone call you to follow up or is it all over email? Uh, some do, but they're PRs that I've got really good relationships with. I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 20 yeah. years and, and some of these, you know... I, 10, 15 years we go back and I'm always happy to receive a call and they'll be programmed into my phone. I know who I'm speaking with. I must admit I don't pick up my phone if I don't know who's calling and uh, people don't leave messages anymore. Email is probably always the best way. Okay, great. And have you ever kind of blacklisted any PR agency or any anyone sort of trying to pitch a story because they were just... Not from pitching a story. Mm -hmm. I've blacklisted writers Mm -hmm. back when I was the features director. And what was the reason for that? Oh, just not delivering, not delivering what they've set out to deliver. You know, um, that was probably the main one. You set deadlines for a reason. You need to go to print um, and sometimes they'd go missing in action. With PRs, usually they're pretty good. I've just had a couple that um, I'm wary of just because certain things, and this is usually in the travel space too, things just haven't worked out as promised. But I, no, I don't think I've blacklisted anyone though. I'm always willing to give people a go. And what sort of things haven't worked out generally? Like, can you give an example? Well, you know, you might be promised, okay, we're going to fly you here. It's going to be a business class trip. You're going to stay at this hotel. This is what's... And, you know, you take this information, you then go to your editors Mm -hmm. and say, this is the trip. This is the components I'm going to be writing about. And they commission you based on what the information you've given them. Yeah. But then you head up to the airport and they say, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Yasa, you're an economy. And you're at this hotel. And, oh, no, those activities, we're not actually going to be doing those. And And you say, but... mm. Everything is writing on, I, I can't write the story. Yeah. And then you're talking to them, you're talking to the editors, the story falls through and it's just an awkward position to be in because they turn on you. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah, editor's yeah. not happy. They can, you know, it's, that's the only reason I've, I've kind of been wary of a couple of agencies now. I just think it's, it's poor form. I think people get so excited that, oh, we've got a journalist coming along that they forget to actually, well, not forget, but they don't put the effort into the details and making sure it all comes through the way you need it which I experienced quite a bit when I was 
at Channel Nine. So, <laughs> well, you would. Yes. So I know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, exactly. It's 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 coming to a journalist once you've got everything absolutely locked in. I think is, and sometimes I think they just get excited and they get to the journalist and they haven't really done the work to lock in the the key experiences. And what do you feel you need? you need sort of to get a story across the line to your sort of editors like what are the key elements often it's just a really original idea even if it's an idea that is done to death so again hay fever is something that we're doing at the moment and you know we do this story every year across all the publications so that's fine we're always going to need those stories but it's finding a way of telling the same story you've Mm. told a hundred times And so it's it's pitching me a product or a case study or something that is a little bit different. Okay. That's the big one for me at the moment. Okay, well, that's good advice. When you get a press release, how much of it do you read? You know, like the em- in email pops up in your inbox. Yep. What makes the difference between you actually opening this pitch and press release and reading it or you deleting it? Like what gets your attention essentially? Well, it needs to be relevant to what I do. So, so do, is it the headline in the subject? So well, straight I mean, I'll yeah. open all emails. Okay. It's not, yeah. but, you know, when I first see it, so yeah. this morning I saw one and it was about a home entertainment system. Again, not relevant to anything I would write. And so I, I did open it, but immediately I knew that wasn't for me. So it yeah. was a quick thanks, but no yeah. thanks. But something else will come through and it's relevant to something I'm writing and then I, they will read the whole thing. Absolutely. And if it's a PR I know well, I definitely will read the whole thing. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, working at forming relationships with journalists. And can you tell me a bit about what you're currently sort of mostly writing for and what topics are relevant to you sort of at the moment? Because a lot of being freelance, you know, people probably don't know what mm-hmm. well might not know if they haven't done their research, I guess, what topics that you cover. So at the moment, we're discovering that there's a lot of money in travel. I mean, they are probably the, the main bread and butter at the moment. So mm-hmm. whether it's magazines, websites, um, it could be even just corporate stuff, aggregators. Um, I do a lot of stuff for Escape, which is the travel supplement in the Sunday Telegraph and online. And, and they are just absolutely dying or, or crying out for writers, yeah. good writers yeah. who, who can write, you know, obviously get the information across, but in a unique and engaging way. That probably makes up maybe about 70% of what I'm writing currently. I do a lot of parenting, social issues. What else? Finance I do, home environment, food. It's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. I often say the things I won't write, obviously cars, we've already ticked that (laughs) off the list. Fashion, I absolutely will not write because I I suck at it. I just don't have the interest. And any kind of beauty, I will not do. And when it comes to exercise, I have done it, but my soul dies every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do love health. I love health yeah, copy and I do yeah. a lot of that also. It just depends on what the editors are coming to me with. You know, if it's something that I'm pitching, I like pitching all the feel-good stories, charities, you know, writing about the importance of empathy. I love all of that. But what we're discovering is, you know, people want to read about death and misery. And so editors who come to me and they're like, oh, we need stories about people who are suffering from this incurable disease and they're going to drop dead and can you do a story? And you're like, can we do a a happy story? No, happy doesn't sell. Actually, that you're reminding me of my days at Channel 9. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. And besides PR agencies, do you have just run-of-the-mill normal business people or marketing managers also pitching to you or is it mostly PRs or it's a mix? Look, it's predominantly PRs. Sometimes, yes, I do get a lot of requests for corporate copy and if I'm interested, I will do it. But I have to love what I do and I I still maybe I'm old school but I really love writing features in long form Mm. for publications and I still love print I'll always favor print over online because I'm old 
and mm. um, I just I, I know a lot of freelancers are now turning to to marketing. They're doing mm-hmm. you know comms work and and the money is better. I know, but there's not a lot of love in it. Uh, I think at some point you need to make a decision about which way you want to go. And then in terms of people sort of pitching stories to you, do you get sort of sort of standalone businesses who haven't gone through PR agency just, you know, look up your email and send you a pitch? Yes. Every now and then? Yes. And I've actually had some really good relationships that have worked out. You know, sometimes it could just be sometimes they're businesses that I, you know, it might be my eyebrow artist who came to me and she was rebranding and she wanted me to write all the corporate copy, which I did. And we struck up a deal where I would go and get my brows done for the next two years or whatever. And and that works or sometimes... Your brows are looking great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, she does a really good job. (laughs) And um, So sometimes you do, you you get these great contra deals in place or sometimes, yeah, it's a business that just, they'd like something you wrote on a Sunday and they contact you and say, can you do this? And then you take a look and you think, well, am I interested? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And... I want to talk to you about getting the best interview from people. So mm-hmm. do you have any trips and tricks and tips into how how you get the best out of someone and how someone can get the best for, for themselves if they're trying to, say, promote their business through the story they're doing with you? Sure. I, th- I think at the heart of it, what it is, is that you need to prove that you're a human too. Sometimes people are wary of, well, not most of the time, people are wary of journalists. So I always make an effort to sit down, have a decent chat that's got nothing to do with the interview. And I also give of myself, you know, if it's something that I can relate to, I'll share stories. And so by the end, by the time we get to the actual interview part, it feels like two friends sitting on a couch, you know, and it's really important to me. And it's important to me that when I put the story out there, that they're really happy with it and there's nothing in there I don't want them to regret having sat down with me. Um, That's really important. And then also if you're being interviewed, I think I don't like interviewing celebrities just simply because so much of what they say is polished, rehearsed. Mm -hmm. I've done it to death. And I like people who come and they just open up completely and, you know, they're willing to share something of themselves. As a journalist, it's your job to get that, obviously, but it's helpful if you're not guarded yourself. And people relate. You know, they can look in the copy and they can see your heart in that. And that's that's what you want as a journalist and also as a as someone who's being interviewed. Yeah. And so do you often interview people face-to-face as opposed to over the phone? Or? I do. Yeah. yeah, sometimes. A lot of it is over the phone now, particularly because I, I chat to a lot of women in rural areas this morning. I was doing a story on homelessness and, you know, so many of the women I spoke to, you know, it was impossible to, to meet with them face-to-face. They were in, in all sorts of areas across the country. Um, next week, I'll be in Uganda. That'll all be face-to-face in refugee settlements. Like, every week it changes. It doesn't make a difference. I feel like you can still form the same connection over the phone. You don't need to be there. Technology is amazing. I mean, look at us now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's and, you know, when you see politicians being interviewed, quite often, you know... It, they avoid the question and they've got their agenda, a bit like what you're talking about with mm-hmm. celebrities. So where do you sort of draw the line with people doing that? And, um, you know, you can probably see through people being robotic or being real. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess what advice would you do to get people to give the best interview possible so that they just they sound totally natural? Because quite often people are scared about being in- interviewed by journalists. They're intimidated. They're thinking, oh, what I've got to say will go out to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So how how would you advise that people just relax and be themselves but at the same time keep their agenda in mind essentially? Often I have to listen to a lot of that, absolutely. And I will let them speak. There's no question. I think you can talk for 40 minutes and push your agenda but it doesn't mean I have to use any of it. I'm big on asking very unexpected questions. You know, I'll let them do their thing and I might just throw in there, when was the last time you cried in the shower? And it's so surprising that they laugh 
and they can't believe I've asked it. And then it somehow, I, don't, I actually don't even know how it works, but it helps them open up. And it could be anything like that. And then we'll just start having a chat and somehow they forget they're being interviewed, but they still are. That's still rolling. And then afterwards, I'll make a decision on which parts of that interview I will use. So I think, I think it is. It's, it's about just remembering. It's, it's two humans connecting. Yeah. Yes, there's an audience at the end of it. Yes, there's an audience at the end of it, but you are, at the end of it, you are just two people just having a conversation about something that means a lot to a lot of people out there who are eventually going to read it. No, that, that's great advice. And have you, have you got a favourite sort of interview that you've done? Someone that you've absolutely just touched your heart or what, for whatever reason, you know, who's, who's your favourite? I've had a few really good ones lately. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of case study based stories for Sunday Life and I, I love these stories. And I spoke to a guy, it sounds like a tragic story initially, you know, he got the flu, it affected his heart, he ended up having a heart transplant, and, but he was so open, so funny, we both cried, we laughed, and at the end I had thousands and thousands of words, and the hardest part is obviously how do I condense that to convey what we've just gone through. I could write a book, and I love him, I just, I want to marry him except I'm already married and that's <laughs> But absolutely, he was just so generous with his time and his feelings. He was so open. And I think, you know, for a man at the moment to talk so openly about their feelings and the love he has for his son, and it just, oh, I just, I melt. I melt every time I think about it. Yeah. Oh, oh. And it reminds me of why I do what I do. It's just that storytelling. And can you think of sort of the, the worst interview you've ever done? Yes. <laughs> it happened. It happened. I was heavily pregnant with my my firstborn. And I don't know why this, but the editor contacted me and said, can you go and interview this woman? And you have to do it face to face. She's just lost her baby. The baby was stillborn. And for some reason, she's picked the woman who's 38 weeks pregnant to go and do the interview. Not having had children before, that was my first. I didn't realize how horrible that would be for her to be interviewed by me. So I turned up and she took one look at me in my heavily and oh. I was massive and it, it, it was horrible and you know she did really well but I could see that I was just adding to her trauma and in the end I wrote a great story and she was lovely and she sent me a nice note afterwards but it has never left me I should not have been there that day I really they should have sent someone else mm, oh, I can only imagine oh I know right yeah as a mother now you just yeah. think oh my gosh yeah. what she had just gone through yeah. yeah so that that stayed with me and and now yeah. you know I would just I would never would have done it no and how would you advise businesses, you know, if they want, if someone wants to be, become the go-to media spokesperson for their industry mm-hmm. and have journalists call them, you know, when they need a story or a spokesperson on this particular topic, how would you as a journalist advise that business people go about doing that? Uh, look, rapid response. Uh, the number of times I will contact an organisation and ask for, or a business, and ask for a spokesperson, and I don't hear back for a week. And by that time, I found someone else, and the story is gone. And they say, oh, okay, yeah, thanks for that. Do you still need a spokesperson? And you're like, I contacted you 10 days ago. So I think, you know, yes, responding to emails as soon as you get them, picking up the phone, and also forming relationships, taking the time, get the journalist's name right. I get it all the time, you know. Dear Yasser, it's, it, it's not conducive to building a strong relationship. And eventually, once you do have that, then the journalist will think, oh, you know, I'll go to Sue, she's really good at blah, blah, blah. And so always in the back of your mind, it's like a Rolodex in there, you've got your contacts all ready to go. Because, you know, deadlines are short, particularly when it's online or it's something that's timely. And you've got to the people you know can be relied on to give you a quick comment. 
And it, would you be open to sort of having coffee with people? If, if someone wants to meet you and say, look, I've got a really good yarn for you or whatever, do you go out and have coffee with I them do. or do you not have time? For, or I do. Look, I, I travel a lot. And so when I'm back, you know, I am, I am at my desk an awful lot of time. But if it's, a, if it's a PR who's got, you know, clients that are relevant to what I do or they've got a really good story idea I think would make a great feature, I've always got time for a coffee. The days of long lunches are gone, mm. uh, sadly. I used to really enjoy those. They're gone. But definitely a coffee, I will always go and meet them for sure. But, you know, if you're coming to me with car audio tips, and no, I'm not doing coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously the media landscape's changed a lot with disruption. How do you think the media's handled disruption? Terribly. Terribly, yeah. When, when I was at, at Nine and, and, and well, Bauer, same company back then, they really were re- resting on their laurels. You know, they thought, well, we've got all the top magazines, we've got all the top shows, we're doing well, we don't need to worry about going online. And so over time, I was there for the tail end of when it became Bauer and then it just became what it is now and all the magazines have closed down, you know, everything's gone. It's a shell of its former self, you'd know. Yeah. They just they just weren't willing to make the switch. Everyone else was going online. They were creating, you know, they were going on social media. We hadn't done any of that. And they were like, well, do we really need to? We've got such a strong product. And, and now look. So I think, I don't know if we've even learned from that, but no, we're terrible. It's almost, terrible. it's a bit like the example of Blockbuster and, and Netflix. Right. You know, Blockbuster were there going, we're the big powerful ones. Yep. Netflix was barely a pebble in the ocean. And next thing, Blockbuster's gone and Netflix is everything. Yeah, it's exactly like that. And it's sad. It's sad what's happened. But, you know, they just weren't paying attention. The world moved on. And what's what do you see the future being for media, for journalism? Look, uh, it's, it's hard to say. I, I wish I knew. I think as journalists, we have to be a lot more flexible. I don't think that we can go around saying, well, I'm a print journalist only. You know, I think now you might just say I'm a gun for hire. You know, whatever you've got going, I'll take it. I, I don't think we can be arrogant enough to say, well, no, this is what I do because, you know, that, that's not how it works anymore. What happens to the industry is anyone's guess. You know, it changes every week. Something major happens in my life. Um, you know, whether it's magazines changing pay rates or, you know, they're closing, they're not doing, they're not accepting freelance submissions anymore. You just don't know. And you just have to roll with the punches. Otherwise, you'll go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Start looking at another job. I don't know. And so what are you doing to, to make sure you stay relevant? I'm just doing what I'm doing. I, this sounds arrogant. I just, I haven't had to struggle yet. You know, I've got lots of work coming and I turn down a lot more work than I take on. I just cannot do all of it. So I'm not in a position where I'm worried yet. I guess in the back of my mind, I think I'm going to open that bookshop in rural Tasmania and be like Black Books, you know, the obnoxious drunken bookseller. Um, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not doing anything different now. I'm just, I'm just working hard and I'm making sure that when I, that I deliver what I set out. You know, that's, that's probably the big thing for me. Once I start becoming a bit too relaxed and I make mistakes, then my career is pretty much over and I know it. You're only as good as your last story. It's true. Well, what I always say is that where we get our media from is constantly changing, but our addiction to media doesn't change. So right. we're just, you know, I think as humans, we, we want to consume media and it's just can be from different platforms or different areas or whatever but we're still consuming for sure yeah maybe you don't want the long form features anymore because apparently they're too long to read which breaks my heart when I see that yeah on the mobile phone like (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and I am seeing it from editors you know when I get the commission oh we just need 400 words and you think they say can you write a feature we want 400 words broken up into three subheads and I'm like what what is the 400 words whereas you know a few years ago it'd be 2,000 words and 
that's depressing, but it just means, okay, well, you're going to write 10 articles today yeah, <laughs> to make yeah, up for it. because you're paid per word. Well, exactly. Nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dilvin, for coming in. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. You've been so generous with your information and telling us your stories. Um, and I'm sure you've been really helpful to all the people out there listening um, and giving them a bit of insight into how a freelance journalist works and what your days are like, your pressures are like and, and what you need in order to get a really good story together. So thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm just I'm glad I could help. And I just hope that others out there just remember, you know, we're all humans. We're all trying to, you know, work together to create something special and, you know, stay kind. You know, not everyone out there is the competition. They're just friends. Well, I absolutely love that message and to be honest, it's one of the key reasons I'm putting together this Magnify You podcast, just to humanise journalism yes. a bit because people are intimidated, they, don't, they see it as something very separate to them and what I'm trying to do is demystify the media and show it's literally just humans sharing stories, yep. telling things that matter to them, connecting with people and, and it can be a really fantastic thing. So absolutely, yeah, I love your ethos and what you stand for. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much. What a pleasure that was to speak to Dilvin Yessa. Fantastic. Please rate and review the show if you enjoyed it. Pass it on to your business buddies and we'll be back next week with episode seven. Thank you for joining Monica Rosenfeld on the Magnify You podcast. If you liked the episode, rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show on. You can listen to Magnify You on all podcast apps, including Apple and Google. Spotify and the TuneIn Radio app are other great ways to listen. If you are looking for a marketing speaker for your next event or PR for your business, contact Monica Rosenfeld at monica at wordstormpr.com.au. 